You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Ann Hornaday, the chief film critic at the Washington Post, and I am thrilled to welcome Maggie Gyllenhaal. She is the director, screenwriter, and producer of the new film, The Lost Daughter. Maggie, welcome. Hi, thank you. Congratulations. Your film is taking everyone by storm. Four independent spirit nominations, Venice, the Gothams, a boatload of wonderful reviews. Um, how does it feel to be getting this response for your very first feature? I mean, it feels, it feels, it feels amazing. I, I think in some ways, um, I'm, I'm I'm surprised that um, that so many people have responded to the movie. I I, I made it really for uh, I, I guess with people in mind who um, who I knew or who I hoped might be picking up what I was putting down, um, and and I'm I'm so glad that that so many people are responding to it. Absolutely, and one. Fascinating factor in all of this is Elena Ferrante, um, the the novel, the writer of the novel you adapted. Had you were you had you read the novel and immediately identified it as something you wanted to direct, or how did how did you come to join up with this material? Um, I had read a lot of her uh, of her books. I read the Neapolitan novels when they first came out. I had a, a group of friends who um, who were sort of like, "You've got to read this book," and. Uh, and then I read Days of Abandonment, uh, which I think is a nearly perfect book. And then I read The Lost Daughter. And I think all of them, um, the thing that drew me to them is that they're they're really honest. They're really honest about, um, I think, an experience of being a woman in the world. Yes, as a mother, uh, but also as a lover, as a thinker, as an artist, as a professional person. And I think, you know, we've agreed as a culture, as a community, not to talk about huge aspects of our experience. And Ferrante, um, you know, uncompromisingly breaks that agreement. And I found that, I, I, I found uh, so many things. I found that uh, kind of terrifying because a lot of the things that she talks about are uh, painful, dark, we've been told to be ashamed of. Um, and I also found it really electrifying and kind of hot because uh, I think there's something inherently dramatic about telling the truth. And in particular about telling the truth about something taboo. And so, yeah, that's what drew me to it. And I, I also have always kind of been attracted to that as an, as an actress, you know, trying to tell the truth about um, what it's actually like to be a woman in the world, what we look like, what we, what we, how, what we think, what we need, how big the spectrum of feelings that we have is. And um. I know I'm like monologuing now, but I, I love talking about my movie. <laughs> um, but, you know, I found as an actress that I kept bumping up again uh, the limits of what I could communicate. Um, I mean, I have a lot to say about that, but, you know, I think, I, I yeah, I think I, I, I finally got to a place where I was like, 
I think I want more than I'm able to express here as an actor. Right, exactly. And that I'm sure has a lot to do with the, just the, it, it's the pipeline, right? It's the material that gets sort of pushed through and then the material you're given. I'd like to get into that later, but I want to stay on Ferrante for a moment because I'm sure her fans are wondering what your communication, and obviously she is anonymous. We don't know her true identity. There's a lot of enigma and mystery around that. So tell us a little bit about your communications with Ferrante and how you went about getting her blessing to do, or did you need to get her blessing to do, to, to do this film? I did need to get her blessing. Um, well, yeah, she's anonymous, so, and I don't know who she is. And um, I'm not interested in, in, you know, uncovering who she is. I feel like that was a really clear, fair request that she be, um, that her personal life be hers. And so all my communications with her have been by email. Um, at first, in order to get the rights, I, I reached out to, well, we reached out to her publisher who said, you got to write to her, you know, ultimately it's up to her. And I wrote this letter to her, which um, was right before my 40th birthday and took me a few weeks to write. I didn't say how I would like to adapt it. I, I told her that I didn't know. Uh, but I told her why I wanted to adapt it, which was basically just in a few words, like, you know, I had been so stunned by the, the truth telling that she does in the book. I mean, to the point where when I was reading uh, Days of Abandonment, I literally dropped the book um, at one point. And, and I thought, well, yeah, that was really impactful to me. And, and, and I imagine for many women all over the world, because of course her books were flying off the shelves, uh, this kind of breaking of this agreement to be silent about so much of our experience. But then I was like, well, what if you could put these same truths up on a screen in a communal space, you know, so that, so that instead of reading them alone in your room, where in some ways it's still a secret, um, it's said out loud, you see it, and you might be sitting next to your mother or your sister or your daughter or your husband while these things are expressed. Then the cat is really out of the bag. Then there's no putting it back in. And that seemed like a really radical and exciting thing to try to do. So that's what I expressed to her, basically. And I said that I wanted to do it. Um, originally, the adaptation I did was uh, in America, in the States. And so I said all of that and, and, and also that I wanted to, to direct it. Um, and she wrote back and she said, yes, you can have the rights to the book, um, but the contract is void unless you direct. Which was at the time a really needed and powerful vote of confidence from a woman whose work I really deeply admired and it made a huge impact on me and was definitely one of the things that, well, it's why I'm here today having made the film. Have you heard from her? Has she seen it? Does she have a response to it? Yeah. Okay. So then there's a few more. I mean, do you want all the Ferrante touchstones? I mean, they were far and few between really, but she wrote me then this piece in The Guardian um, just a short little piece. She writes like a couple of paragraphs in The Guardian. Um, she used to, I don't think she still does, you know, every week or every few weeks. And it basically said, um, uh, uh, it's very important to her that the movie be good. Um, and she knows that the only way it will be good is if it's 
mine. And so she wanted to offer me freedom to express myself through her work, as difficult as that might be for her, you know, since she cares about her piece of work too. She said, women have been too long kind of put, she calls it the, the male cage, put inside the male cage. And she didn't want to put me in, in, in inside of any kind of cage. And I really took that to heart. And it, that, that Guardian piece coincided with um, um, the end of my first draft. Uh, and I had given the script to two people, Amy Herzog, who's a great screenwriter, who's my age, who I've worked with, and my mother, who's also a screenwriter, um, who I have a lot of respect for. And they both gave me the same note, which was, and I, and I won't give anything away, because I don't know uh, if the people here have seen the film, probably not. Um, but there's a big reveal in the movie, and originally it happened much earlier, which is where it happened in the book. And both of those screenwriters said to me, you got to move it back. It doesn't work um, where it is in the script, which had basically, and they were right. It took me a minute to acknowledge it, but <laughs> they were right. And so that kind of blew up the structure of my script, uh, moving this big reveal. So my script was kind of in tatters on the ground um, when I got this note, this Guardian piece. And it meant that, in fact, in the cracks that had been created by changing the structure, I, I was starting to come through. There was space for me to come through. And that is when the, the script really started to jam and really started to get alive and hot. Um, then I gave the script to Ferrante when I finished, when I was really pleased with it and ready to go. And she was wonderful. She, she heard it, she saw it. Um, I made a huge change. I made many, many changes, but a major thing is that the, the last line of my film is basically the exact opposite of the last line of the book. Although I think they mean the same thing. And um, she said, I see what you did with the ending and I love it. Um, and then, yeah, she wrote this, this piece in The New Statesman. Uh, she saw the film uh, just a couple of days ago. And, you know, she, she really loved it. But more than that, um, she really saw what I was trying to do. And so in a way, it's like, in some ways, she's the one I made the movie for. And then on another level, I made the movie for also, uh, all the people who never were going to read Ferrante, who were like, that is not my thing, but who might appreciate hearing the things that she offered me. And actually also all the people in between. <laughs> but I, in some ways, I'm like, I'm I, her understanding and hearing and really seeing what I was doing. And um, it was incredibly important to me. I want to talk a little bit about Leda, um, the protagonist of the film. We saw her in those clips, but I'd like to set up another clip uh, where we meet her a little bit more in depth. Tell us, where do we, where do we meet her? Who, who is she as this film opens and where is she in her life? Well, I think you're meeting someone who's like really at a life or death sort of precipice. Um, <clears throat> she's 
she doesn't seem that way. She seems like a, you know, a successful, powerful, intelligent, capable woman who's um, on vacation alone in Greece and starting a lovely trip. Um, but I think we come to know pretty quickly that she's so anxious she can't walk down the street without feeling like she's going to pass out. And it's because basically she's at the point in her life where she's either going to slowly die internally or she's going to be brave enough to get down into the dirt of the most painful, shameful parts of herself and take a look at them. and. I think that's usually where the life is. Hmm. Let's take a look at this clip from The Lost Daughter. We'll come back up. So she's not calming down. Yeah. It's been a weird day. We found her and then she lost her doll. I used to have a doll like that, called Mina. Mina? Mina. What mini mama, as my mother called her. You'll find it. Yeah. See you So this is, we see later they're um, encountering a young woman named Nina, played by Dakota Johnson. And this is, not to give anything away about this movie, because the way that it unfolds and the way that you thread us through this psychological um, romance and, and also thriller is, is absolutely wonderful. But what I would call this is a meditation on maternal ambivalence, in addition to lots of other things. But this is very much about two mothers coming together. One being thrust back into her own memories of young motherhood and one in it, in that experience. Um, and, you know, when I was watching this the first time, I don't think, to your point about earlier about Ferrante, just telling these tough, tough truths about what it's like to be a woman, in this case, what it's like to be a mother. Um, I think the last time something this bold has been done was we need to talk about Kevin, right? You know, that, that incredibly mm. transgressive um, portrait of, of ambivalent, um, and I'm fascinated by when you said you wanted women to see this with their sisters and their mothers, but also the men in their lives. And I'd like to ask you, what kinds of responses have you been getting from men about this portrait of, of uh, motherhood and women? Well, I, I have two things to say about this. One is, um, so, you know, so many movies that have inspired me, really inspired me, uh, that I was moved by, that I care about, were made by men. Um, so just to say that, and that inspired this film. Um, I mean, we, we can talk about that, but so many beautiful things. At the same time, I, I think it's difficult to imagine what it's like to be a woman if you're not a woman. <laughs> and that's fair enough. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean men can't tell stories about women. It just means when women tell stories about ourselves 
it might, it probably will include a bigger spectrum of our experience. The things that are hidden, the things that happen in private. Um, and I, I think I saw myself, you know, I saw, I saw women reflected back at me on screen for most of my life in a way that I went, oh yeah, that's kind of right. That's, that's mostly right. The, the, the edges of my experience are not included almost ever, which made me start to wonder for a while if I was, something was off about me, if my feelings were too big, too much, my need, my, my thoughts. Um, on either end of the spectrum. And um, and I think in fact, it's just that we weren't fully represented. And, and you know, you see something like the piano and I'm not talking literally, well, no, maybe I am. I mean, uh, when I saw that and I was, you know, 15 or 16, I was like, I was totally bowled over because I had never seen anything like it before. So I think that men, just like everybody else, respond to being told the truth and shown something truthful. So this is just a silly example, but like that scene with Jesse Buckley, who I think is so brilliant, who plays Young Leda, and she's at the uh, conference and she gets home and she takes she's taking her bra off underneath her shirt and taking the bobby pins out of her hair. You know, if you've seen your sister or your mother or your girlfriend or your wife or whatever do that, that feels right to you. Then you listen to that character in a different way. You go, this is an image of something truthful and your heart open. Um, and so I think men appreciate seeing the not fantasy version of women as much as women appreciate it. Um, I also think, and my husband said this a couple of times and I, I love it and I'm going to just steal it from him. Um, he says, look, everyone has a mother. And so I think that's part of why the film is resonating is the, the movie is, it's asking a difficult thing of people, of men and women, which is to be able to hold in your mind uh, a mother who is many, many complicated things uh, in the simplest way of putting it, who is good and bad at the same time. Um, and for babies, for little kids, that's very difficult, of course, because our survival depends on our mother being good and being bountiful and being generous with her bounty. And, and the times when she's not, it's almost like she, that has to be separated off when you're little. So, so the movie's asking you to kind of use your adult grown-up mind and hold an image of a mother, which is all mothers, <laughs> that is both good and bad and includes ambivalence, like you say, and a lot of pain as well as a lot of joy, both at the same time. We're, we're used to more seeing like a bad mommy. And that's nice sometimes because it makes you go, oh, I'm so much better than this bad mommy. I would never do any of these things. I'm so good. You know, it's harder. Or my mother was so good and nothing like this bad mommy. It's more complicated to, 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 to consider a mother who's both. And ideally, I think the film is asking you to consider how, how you are both, how your mother was both. 
uh, and that's that's useful and I, I hope moving for men and women. Definitely. You mentioned Jesse Buckley, who's fantastic, and your husband, Peter Sarsgaard. I would love for us to watch this next clip, which features both of them. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Let's go right to the clip. We'll come back. Your name, Leda, is very provocative. <laughs> you thinking about the Yates? I bet you know it by heart. In Italian. Uh. Tutto di colpo. La grande ave. Palpitante. Sulla ragazza. Staggering girl. Sconcertante. Sì, ragazza. Squarcettante. Speaking of hot, that is just, you know, here's why I love that scene. And this is one of my pet peeves as a critic is when we see people fall in love or even in lust, it's either a physical attraction or just this magical, like they love it. And you're getting at the intellectual bond, you know, you're getting at it as an intellectual uh, meeting of minds. And I just thank you for that. Um, it's just a- Well, nothing is hotter. Nothing is sexier. Like, okay, someone can think you look hot in your dress. Okay, uh, they might think someone else looks hot in their dress tomorrow. But, but someone who's who's attracted to your mind. I mean, that's just you. That's just yours. You know. And I, I do think that's the sexiest thing. And I do think that's why the scene works because there is that mind connection. And in a way, I was watching the movie at New York Film uh, Festival, and I was with Peter, and we were right next to each other. And and then his face is like massive on the screen. I'm actually in his office right now because he has the best lighting. <laughs> and um, and and I was looking at him and thinking, what he needed to be in this movie in order for it to work, this this relationship to work is irresistible. I mean, of course you're going, don't sleep with him. And no, it's, that's not going to, don't do that. And, and then you're like, okay, okay, I guess do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, he's, he's, he's really irresistible. And it is his understanding of her mind. And his admiration for it. I mean, who could yeah. resist that? Oh, you're exactly right. You know, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dakota Johnson at the Middleburg Film Festival earlier this year. Um, and we talked about how this is a movie that's about watching. It's about the gaze. It's about Leda's gaze onto Nina, and it's about your gaze onto onto your characters. And I would love to ask you just about, you know, we we talk a lot about the male gaze, and that cinema is sort of predicated on that on men looking at women. And I want to ask you about the female gaze, and do you think it exists, and and what make what distinguishes it itself? I think I loved looking at my world. You know, I, I, how do I put this? I have a lot of things to say about this. I mean, I, um, in particular, in terms of Dakota, let's start with that. Dakota, you know, who plays Nina, is came to me as an actress, and and she found my script. She came to me and said, this is speaking to me. This is offering me an opportunity to express things that I feel I need to express. 
that's a great match. That's also what I'm looking for as an actress. And that's also, that's what I'm looking for in my actresses. And, um, and then she comes to work. We didn't shoot in order, but we did shoot some of the beach stuff kind of in order. So she comes to work. She spends her first four days being looked at in a bikini, which is something that Dakota and her, in her career has basically done before. And it's not what she signed up to do. Um, and, and, and I was thinking about all of this uh, and, and how I wanted to shoot her. I was interested in, um, yes, in, in observing, in, in, in observing a compelling, beautiful woman on film. Obviously there's a long tradition of that. There's a tradition that's like not interesting to me at all, uh, which I actually don't think is hot. And I think if we're honest, probably very few people think is actually hot, like a real kind of objectified fantasy version, Victoria's Secret, uh, I don't know, I don't mean to throw them under the bus, but you know, like kind of fantasy. Then there's like, Antonioni looking at Monica Vitti, there's Godard looking at all the incredible women that he that he gazes at. And they're actually compelling, even though, as you say, it's a male gaze. I I wanna like touch Monica Vitti. I wanna wear her sweater. I wanna, I cut my hair at some time in my life, like every one of those women in the Godard movies. I mean, really. And I'm actually compelled. But then I was thinking, what if that woman who's been observed in that way, you know, Dakota, in a way, sort of in that way, my version of that way, then pops into the screen, which is basically the, the first clip you showed, and has need and hunger, huge, you know, is not satisfied and speaks and, and sort of pops out of that frame that I think we're used to seeing an actress in. And, and so it, it was interesting to watch Dakota really struggle with, with being observed, being in some way kind of objectified, only to crack it open and have a voice. Uh, Maggie, I couldn't agree more. I wish we could go on. I'm being told we're out of time. I'm so okay. sorry. We have to leave it there, but I cannot Thank you enough for joining us today. It's a wonderful movie, and this was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.